Let's pray. Lord, first this morning as we gather people at Crosspoint, we want to uh, lift up a local pastor and his family and a local church. Lord, we want to pray for Dan Williford this morning. I pray for him and his marriage and his family, Lord. I pray that that is a, um, a ministry um, ground for him and a primary ministry. Lord, I pray for his wife. She has to uh, endure the uh, roller coaster of emotion and shepherding. And um, Lord, I pray that you'll level those highs and lows and um, that you'll give her a sweet patience and gentleness with him. And um, Lord, I pray for their ministry, uh, your ministry through them to uh, Mineral Heights Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that you are enjoyed and savored. pray that it begins in Dan's study. And that as he studies and prepares to teach and preach, that he is wrecked and undone and cut up and reassembled and, and resorted. And he's filled up to overflowing so that when he teaches and preaches and shepherds, that it just gushes over onto a people and that a people are uh, receiving the rain week by week and that they are bearing fruit. Lord, we pray for this other church, for Mineral Heights Baptist Church, Lord. We pray that you will guard them and guard us and guard the other Christians in this community from ever having a spirit of competition. And that we'll see ourselves in the same um, gospel, embedded within the same story, as part of the same people, enjoying the same Lord and the same empty tomb. Lord, I pray that we can be each other's cheerleaders and teammates, and prayer warriors, and encouragers. We pray for this church, Lord. We pray that they are enjoying you out loud and that others are being drawn. <clears throat> Lord, in these next few minutes, I pray for this people. I pray that you will open the eyes and the hearts of the sluggish. And if that's every one of us, that we'll be obedient and respond. If it's some of us, then those who are sluggish will be rousted and awakened and startled and arrested and gripped with the gravity of what it means to be sluggish. Lord, we turn this time over to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Man, I'm laboring over this sermon this morning. I've, for the last few weeks, I've been preparing to preach this sermon. I actually came from a conversation I had with Greg Fields, uh, a pastor at uh, Westminster Presbyterian and Greg had been preaching on love, and he shared with me this passage that he had been studying that he didn't preach, and it was, in many ways, the sermon that, that didn't pre- get preached, and I, he was telling me about it, and I said, man, I've got to dig into that. And the more and more I studied it, the more I realized this is something that I needed and something that this people needed. And what I've been doing these last few weeks is I've kind of been on a journey, so hard for a journey that's been taking weeks to try and capture and represent it in 30 or 45, maybe an hour, minutes. It's hard to do that, but what I hope to do in these next few minutes is kind of give you a little micro version of the journey that I've been on, and my prayer, what I've been praying is that the Lord will multiply the impact of our few moments, and I, I, don't, I don't want him to multiply the time, I want him to multiply the impact of what you hear, that it actually finds purchase, and that it actually changes you and disassembles you, gives you a better view to the truth better view of identity of who you are that it disassembles paradigms that aren't right and that reassembles us to be a faithful obedient responsive christ adoring christ focused people 
What I'm praying for is that he will multiply the impact of our moments together as we savor what I hope you see in the next few minutes as sweet manna as a people. Let's go right to our passage. and I'll share with you just briefly too, if you ever wonder what Wednesday nights are like, this morning in the way that I expose this passage is a lot like what we do on Wednesday night. I'm going to read the passage and then we're going to come back and do what I call low crawling. We're going to low crawl through it. And we're going to pick up the, just the rich nuggets that are on the ground and hopefully walk away changed. Beginning in verse 11 of chapter 5 of Hebrews, it's on page 1003 of your pew Bible. <clears throat> About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this, this we will do if God permits. For it's impossible to restore again to repentance those who've once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those, who's for, to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned." Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. One of the things I'm intimidated about this morning is you know if you've been here for any period of time that I like to preach about a tree. This is a forest. So I'm a little bit intimidated by preaching on a forest, but we're going to hope and pray that the Lord does something in spite of me. What I want to do this Sunday, I plan on actually preaching this entire passage this Sunday, but what we're going to do is we're going to have part two next week. I'll give you a bird's eye view of where we're going. This week, we're going to deal with what is a, what I would probably best describe as a strong and stern warning. I'm just going to prepare you that it's going to be strong. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. And then next week, we're going to deal with the second part of that, which is a pastor's, pastor's heart of loving hope and encouragement for God's people. They go together. And next week, you'll see why this is part of the love series. <laughs> Standing alone by itself today, you may not think it's love. 
but I hope that you're able to connect the dots and understand. For those of you that are here as kind of a, maybe this is your first time or your first of a few times, and you're trying to kind of get a sense of what we're doing, know that you're stepping in on a conversation, and you're hearing a snippet. This people is on a journey, through the, at least through the book of John, not exclusively, but primarily. We're on a journey, and you're hearing a snippet of a conversation this morning, a piece. And the conversation continues next week. So I urge you that if you hear this snippet today and you're like, man, these guys are pretty serious about it. You're right. But we're not always approaching the word the way we're going to approach it this morning. Or the word doesn't always do, let's put it that way, what it's going to do this morning. Because I'm going to expose it as it's pre or as it's written. And we're going to let it do its terrible work to all of us. In order to crack this meal open this morning, we've got to get acquainted with the context. This letter, the book of Hebrews, or the letter of Hebrews, was written to a Jewish Christian church in the Roman Empire. If you've heard of Messianic Jews or a Messianic Jewish church, that's probably a good way to think of this church. Somewhere in the Roman Empire, there's a church that's made up, at least at this point, what looks to be and seems to be all Hebrews. It was probably a little bitty house church, maybe 12, 15 people. That was kind of the nature of the church in those days. A letter would go to a church and be circulated to all these little house churches. They didn't have a big building necessarily, big facade. It's little churches led by ordinary people on an ordinary journey. This church was likely this little bitty house church that had experienced much persecution and suffering. And it seems they had... They had the gospel for a while. We'll look at some of this language. They had been Christians for a while, and they had walked together for some time as a people, but they were growing sluggish. We planned that. <laughs> That's about the only little glimpse you'll ever get of prior planning for Crosspoint, is that I told them, put that up when I say sluggish. That's about as polished as we get. This whole passage that I just read, it's, it's kind of embedded and concealed within this, this translation. It's about sluggishness. The passage begins with this verse that we just read, chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. That word dull is the word sluggish in the original language. Not in the, it's a Greek word, but it means sluggish. And then in chapter 6, verse 12, where that passage ends where I just read, He's talking about sluggishness again. Those are bookends. That's what this thing is about. He's dealing with a people, a mature or supposedly should have been mature people, who are sluggish. And while there was a time apparently when they had been wrecked and undone and overwhelmed and shocked and amazed and arrested with the gospel, maybe it had kind of become old news or kind of understood, oh, I got all that stuff. Maybe they wanted to move on. Instead of building on that foundation of truth that they had been given, they had grown sluggish with the truth and it showed up in their unwillingness to engage others with the truth. It made them silent, quiet with the gospel. Maybe it was for fear of losing their lives, which is a very real situation. Maybe it's for fear of losing their possessions, which they may have done, or maybe it was both. Whatever the case, it seems from the way this, this letter unfolds, what the, the writer Hebrew, of Hebrews engages with them, it seems as if they've huddled up. They've got a little holy huddle going on. And they're less and less amazed by grace and the gospel. Maybe 
Maybe it looked like a bunch of Christ-professing people that were mute, silent between Sundays about their Lord. Maybe it was a bunch of supposedly Christ-professing, Christ-adoring people that were just busy and they didn't talk about their Lord in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in their family gatherings. They were just getting their church on on Sunday. Maybe. Maybe there was a handful of fathers or shepherds in this little bitty house church that were just busy. And they grew less and less amazed with the gospel and more and more consumed with worldly things. Maybe. So the writer of Hebrews takes these guys who'd grown sluggish. He takes them to some imagery that would have been really familiar to them. And he pours cold water on them. When I was a kid growing up, the way my parents woke me up in the morning, I had, my mom had her method, my dad has hidden, had his method. My mom's method, we had up, downstairs and upstairs, and the boys slept upstairs, and my mom would shout. She has a, she's about five feet tall, but she has this piercing voice, and she would shout, Bian! She'd turn my name into two syllables. Bian! Get up! And it was just so piercing. I'm laying in bed going, Stop yelling. Bien. That's how she got me up. But if that didn't work, my dad came up with cold water. Cold water always worked. And what I'm hoping and praying is that this morning, this passage that we're going to engage, is that you'll be doused with cold water if you're sluggish and sleepy. I want to prepare you for something that you're going to need to engage this word rightly. First of all, what you're going to need is you're going to need to engage this passage. This may be, and I say first of all like it's two things. This may be it. Engage it like a people this morning. Not like an individual. Just take what is probably very familiar to us as Westerners, and even maybe many of us with very Southern Baptist backgrounds, and take your faith that typically you think of as very individualistic, put that stuff aside and see yourself sitting with a people. A people, your people. And then let's engage this word together. And then let it, let it do its work on us. Let's low crawl, chapter 5, verse 11. This will be the first part of the message, the stern warning. The second part of the message will be next week, the loving encouragement, pastoral encouragement for the people of God. Chapter 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say. This is referring to where he's just been. He's been dealing with Christ as high priest. The New American Standard says, about him, we have much to say. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey man, we got a lot of things to talk about. This Jesus is incredible. What he's done, this gospel is unsearchable. We got lots of things to talk about. We have much to say, and it's hard to explain. And it's not hard to explain because it's really difficult. It's hard to explain because of the next phrase. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You become sluggish. You ever tried to explain something to somebody who's sleepy? It could be something very simple. But somebody who's sleepy or dull or disengaged, they're not going to get it and it makes it very hard to explain. 
It's hard to say in so many words what he's saying is it's hard to say what needs to be said, what needs to be enjoyed since you've become sluggish of hearing. You're thinking about a bunch of other stuff. One of the things I want to do this morning, I hope I do this as a, as a routine, but what I really want to do this morning, especially given the tone of this passage and what it's doing, is I want to shoot very straight with y'all. I see this in all of you sometimes. All, I can't answer. I see it in most of you sometimes. Sometimes, oftentimes, this I think is how this church is characterized. I see people on the edge of their seat. Let me have the truth. I'm hungry. I want it. But then sometimes I see those guys that are just like, feed me. Where they're sluggish and distracted. And they're sleepy. You think I can't see when you sleep? (laughs) Our church isn't that big. I could even see in the back when somebody's mouth is ajar. (laughs) Flies are going in and out. I know when you're snoozing and sluggish. I see this in us sometimes. The way this unfolds, I'm fearful that this may be for us. There are times when you're on the edge of your seat and other times when I want to say, Hello, is there anybody home? When we climb into the rest of this passage this morning and you realize what he's saying to the sluggish, hopefully this will be a cold water or a piercing voice for you. I want to just kind of arrest you with a reality. National Treasure is one of my favorite movies. I I like the first one especially. The second one, not as much. But I like the idea of searching for treasure and getting clues And I like how attentive I would be if I was in that context. And I realize how attentive God's God's people would be if we were thinking about the truth that we were receiving week by week as treasure. Where we'd be sitting on the edge of our seat all the time. What we've got to realize for the sluggish, and he does a whole lot better job of taking us where we need to go for the rest of this sermon. But what we've got to realize is that week by week we are sharing treasures of something that's better than silver and gold. Something that lasts far beyond all the riches that the world could garner and gather right now. Week by week, a bunch of ordinary people are gathering and engaging an extraordinary treasure. So week by week, we should be on the edge of our seat. Week by week on Saturday nights, we should be trying to go to bed in a reasonable hour so we can be attentive So we can recognize that God has a message for his people. Let's go to verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, sluggish guys, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. I shared with you in kind of the introduction to the context that it seems like these guys have had the gospel for a while. This little phrase, by this time, points us to that reality that they likely have been Christians for years. This church may have gathered for years, this little Hebrews house church, and he says, by now, by this time, you ought to be teaching. Now, some of you, when I say teaching, your mind immediately goes to what we do in the first hour, typically, with a Bible study class or what I'm doing right now. You say, oh, I could never talk in front of people. That scares me to death. I understand that. But I want you to see and understand teaching as engaging those who need truth. And that may not look like this. 
It may not look like what happened in the first hour this morning where someone sat with their Bible open and engaged a group of people. Engaging others who need truth might be a daddy sitting with his family with his Bible open and teaching them about something eternal. It might be a guy on his lunch break with his Bible open in his cubicle sharing some truth with his neighbor and his cubicle mate. It might be a guy in his warehouse busting his Bible open and saying, let me engage you with something that matters. It might be something on a family, somebody on a family gathering saying, come here, let me talk to you about something. Something that matters. He's saying, by this time, you've been Christians for this long, you ought to be teaching. What you've got to appreciate is that this letter, this Hebrew letter, is not written to pastors. It's not written to a bunch of people that are pastors. It's written to the church body. Everybody, by this time, who had been Christians for, by this time, however long that was, you ought to be teaching. Here's why I'm really frightened to engage you with this warning and this challenge this morning because I think this is, we need this. Because I cannot tell you how often I'm talking with a father that says, man, I need you to come talk to my kid. And I'm really making you look stupid right now, whoever that father might be. I'm, by the way, I'm acting. I, let me tone it down. <laughs> a straw man is easy to beat up. A father saying, hey, I need you to come talk to my kid about how to be saved. How long have you been a Christian? Decades? And you want me to come lead your child to Christ? You ought to be teaching. You want me to share with your workmate why Jesus had to die on a cross? You want to, man, i got to get my workmate, i got to get this lost friend to come to church on Sunday so they can hear the truth. And I'm saying, what are they getting all week? You've been a Christian how long? And you don't have the wares to share with anybody? 10 years? 20 years? Decades? You ought to be teaching. And if you're not, then maybe you're sluggish. If you can't explain the resurrection to your kids, I'm afraid maybe you're sluggish. I think the point that he's making here is that if you weren't so sluggish, you would have the goods to do what mature Christians do. Teach. Speak the truth to others. You would have the wares. Let's go to verse 14. It says, but solid food, solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Go back to what he was talking about in the beginning. He says, about this we have much to say. This, referring back to he's just engaged and presented Christ as the high priest. If you're sitting here wondering, mm, I wonder if I'm sluggish and immature. Or if you're sitting here saying, I think I'm mature. This will be a good diagnostic tool for you. Is Christ as high priest something that's just on the tip of your tongue? Can you explain Christ as high priest role to your children? to your workmates, to your friends. If you understand what it meant and means for Christ to be high priest, if you understand it and you enjoy it and you can't help but open your mouth about it and teach it, that's a pretty good marker of maturity. 
I just wonder, man, if I was hearing this for the first time this morning, if I wouldn't be sitting there alarmed. I'll tell you, having been your pastor for five years, I'm alarmed because I don't know how many of us could do that. This writer of Hebrews says that's kind of a marker of maturity. In essence, here's a big picture of what we've seen so far. What he's writing to a church, he's writing to a church that ought to be doing grown-up things. I was thinking about what grown-up things would look like to a kid. For me, growing up, here's what grown-up things look like. Adults cross their legs, and they drink coffee, lots of it, and they chit-chat. They talk all the time. He's saying the church ought to be doing grown-up things, talking about deep, rich truths of Christ. But the church that he's writing to is saying, man, you're kind of gravitating toward your Legos. You're pulling out your Star Wars set, and you're stepping away from the things that adults do. That's, in essence, what we're seeing right there. They're still playing with their Legos and their Cindy doll while someone else makes their little lunch with the triangle sandwich halves. Why don't we still do that? You know, the little half triangle and Cheetos. He's saying you ought to be doing adult things, teaching, talking about the truth with those who need to hear it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. There's a break here in the chapter, and it's really a crime because people stop reading at the end of a chapter. This just this thought keeps going. Remember, we're in the middle of the bookends. It says, therefore, since you're not doing that, since you've picked up your Legos, and you ought to be doing adult things, you ought to be teaching, therefore, let us... He's saying, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this, this grow up to maturity, we will do if God permits. I was looking at this list of things that the Hebrews writer included there and I wondered if he was just recounting an old preaching series. Just thinking about maybe in the past years what he had preached. Maybe he had a preaching series on repentance. Maybe he had a little series of sermons on faith toward God. Maybe he had a series of sermons on instructions about washings, about the laying on of hands, about resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And he's saying, man, we need to move on. And what we need to do is not leave those things behind. I don't like this translation because that's not what it means. Leave them behind like an old forgotten foundation underneath your house that you don't think about. In fact, what this means, to leave those things behind and move on, means that we leave them standing. We leave them visible, standing, erected. We built them together. We know they're true. And we move on, not forgetting those things like some old dark, dusty, dirty, damp, foundation but moving on like we don't necessarily think about air that we breathe but we know we're breathing it i wonder if he's not thinking and recounting his old preaching series and i'm thinking about for us for this church if i was to write this letter hebrews to cross point i could go back and think about some of those elementary doctrines that we engaged that we want to leave standing like substitutionary atonement remember that series people of god where we dusted off we went back to leviticus and went, cobwebs. And we found sacrifice come to life. Where we saw this old dude, Jacob, come and offer his lamb or his little goat 
unblemished lamb or goat for slaughter. And he comes up and he puts his hand on it where his sin, that's still very real, is placed or reckoned placed by a graceful God on the head of this critter. And then they cut his throat. And then we recognize and appreciate that in many ways what Jesus has done. He said, put your hand right here. So here's the knife. I'll bear your sin. That's elementary doctrine for us. We want to forget that? No. We want to leave that standing. We want to leave those goods in place. We want to leave propitiation in place. Some of you that are new to Crosspoint, you're going, propitiation, man, what is that? That's a big word. Some of you may know, and I'm not accusing all new people of not knowing that. That's not cool. Propitiation for cross point, that's elementary truths that we've moved on. Propitiation is the wrath-absorbing work of Christ. Because what we realize is through unpacking the word together is that we're crossways with a living God. No one's righteous, no, not one. And that a holy God, if you try and figure out, well, why in the world would taking a bite of a forbidden fruit result in death? Because God is that holy. And sin is that damaging and that corrosive. So what we realize in digging into other passages, the places where we've gone together, truths that we've digested together, things that we've, we're going to leave standing and that we've erected, we're going to leave standing, this picture of propitiation, that a holy God is rightfully angry at sinful man. And that the work of the cross is the only true innocent stepping in our place and taking the wrath for us. That we are saved by God from God. That's an elementary truth for us. We don't want to leave it as forgotten. We want to leave it standing and breathe it like air. Sovereignty. That's, we've been engaged that a lot in the last few years, the sovereignty of God. R.C. Sproul said there's no renegade. If there's a renegade molecule in the universe, then God is not God. So we've engaged issues of sovereignty where we see a God that is able, that is on his throne, that knows all things, and either engages them directly or allows all, all, all things. We've engaged shepherding. That's one of those elementary truths for this church. That our children's ministry is not the sole and not even the primary instructor of training in righteousness for our children. That you are, and especially you are daddies. For those of you who are single parents, maybe a mom is sitting here going, what about me? You're a functional shepherd, so I'm speaking to you also. We've engaged. That's an elementary truth, a thing that we now have that's been erected, that's standing, and we don't need to go back to because we know our children's ministry, our youth ministry, everything is going to put the onus on Daddy to bring the good word to his children. And when Daddy's begin to recognize what we're doing here on Sunday mornings is equipping you to do that, and you're just not getting your church on, then we're getting somewhere. That's an elementary, erected, standing truth for this people. Another one, man, this is the last one I'll address. We could go on and on and on. Is the primacy of the Word of God. Man, that's been erected and standing. This people's been built by the preaching and teaching and seeking to obey of the Word. Not by a scheme to reach our community. Not by a program or a design or a method. This church, and I will offer that a family, a proper healthy family, will be built by the teaching and preaching and exposure and seeking to obey of the Word. We don't need to supplement the Word with anything. 
How dare we? Because then we say it's insufficient. Man, primacy of the word is something that we've erected that we're going to leave standing. That's our list if we were to write our own list. And if you want to diagnose what he's saying to them and really put it in our own terms, let's diagnose this for Crosspoint. Let's imagine that someone joins Crosspoint this morning. They're on their second or third visit. Let's imagine that they come up, I present them for membership, and then some of the families, part of Crosspoint, that have been here four years by this time, get to know this family that's just joined. And this family who's here this morning says over lunch, Hey, man, what it, I mean, I'm making you look stupid, too. I don't know why I'm doing that. Because you're totally not. You're smart for joining Crosspoint. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about there. But let's imagine this family joins Crosspoint. And over lunch, they say, hey, man, what is that initiation thing Ben was talking about this morning? Propitiation. What is that? where the family that's dining with them doesn't say, uh-oh, where's Ben's phone number? <laughs> where's that? I knew I had his cell phone in here. Where is he? I can't get him right now. I'll have to answer that later. Where the family that's sitting and engaging them says, oh, man, open your Bible. Let's go. I've been equipped to teach you this because I ought to be a teacher by this time. You want to diagnose whether we're sluggish or not, man... That's a pretty good example. A mature people will come alongside and say, ooh, let me take you where God took us as a people two years ago to John chapter 10 to see sovereignty. Let me take you to Leviticus to see substitutionary atonement. Let me take you, or propitiation, let me take you to John chapter 10. Let me take you to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Let me take you to Revelation. Let me take you to 1 John. Let me take you to Titus. Let me take you to First and Second Timothy because we've been equipped because by this time, man, I'm ready to teach. Somebody needs to understand where we've been as a people. We've got a, we got a body of teachers. Let's go to verse 4. Here's where things get real, real vivid. Here's where the warning gets probably the most um, poignant. Maybe that's the word. Chapter 6, verse 4. He says, "For the writer of Hebrews says, For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have, and share, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Now, remember at the beginning of the sermon, I told you in order to get something out of this, you've got to think like a Jew. You've got to think like a Jewish believer to get this. In order to understand what he's saying here, we have to go back and dine on something that if we haven't dined on it before, we're going to take just a couple of minutes and try and climb into the mind of the Jew. Because we're not Jews. We're not thinking like these guys would have been thinking. I want to show you in these next few minutes that if I were writing a, a letter, a, an epistle, to a church in Nashville, I might be able to kind of slide in some imagery of music where everybody in Nashville would get it. But we might write, read it and go, man, what was that talking about? Or I might write a letter to a church in Corpus Christi and allude to things about the beach, sand, where everybody there totally gets it. But we don't get it because we don't live in Corpus. 
So what I want to do here, just for a moment, is I want you all to become Jews with me. I want us to think like a Jew, where you have a heritage. You have an identity. Your daddy taught you the story of the nation of Israel. I'm going to do a little 30-second version of that right now. Okay? Story of the Jewish people in 30 seconds. It might be 50 seconds. It's close. God called Abram to leave his land and to go to a land that he would show him. He would make of him a great nation, and he would give him a land for his own possession. This land is often referred to as the promised land or Canaan. God renames him later Abraham, and he eventually has a boy named Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. God chooses Jacob to be the father of a bunch of boys, one of which was a boy named Joseph. And Joseph, he was a punk. And his brothers, they couldn't stand him. In fact, what they did is they sold him to a slave trader for Egypt. And he went off to Egypt and became a slave. He climbed, and climbed the Egyptian corporate ladder from slave to the right-hand man to the Pharaoh. And his family later, his brothers and his dad's family, experienced famine in Canaan. And these brothers came to Egypt to try and get some chow. And Joseph met him there. And Joseph, eventually through a little circumstance, series of events there, he invited them to come live in Egypt. So they come move, move to Egypt. Remember, there's all these boys good seed crop there to start a nation and that's what happened in egypt a nation began to multiply like ants they spent about 400 years in egypt and over the course of time there are pharaohs that came and went and before before long a pharaoh began to recognize man there's israelites everywhere <laughs> golly these guys are pretty prolific they're quite busy let's put them to work let's make them slaves let's keep our hand on them to keep them contained so after 400 years of being, or about 400 years in Egypt, God led them out through the plagues, the Passover being the last and final and really the climactic plague. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They went on to Mount Sinai. There God gave them the law, and then they began a journey back to the promised land, that land that was promised to Abraham. Now this journey, if you're familiar with this at all, you know that it wasn't straight away. They kind of meandered and wandered because of the hardness of their own hearts. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. I'll give you a page number on your pew Bible, or if you have an ESV, it's on page 404. The reason I'm taking you to Nehemiah is for two reasons. First of all, I think the guy that wrote the, letters, the letter to the church in Hebrews must have really been a student of Nehemiah, and I'm about to show you why. But I'm turn, I want you to turn here because this, in this chapter, chapter 9, Ezra has just read from the law, and the whole nation of Israel is repenting from being a bunch of knuckleheads. They've been in the Babylonian exile. They've really been a bunch of boneheads. And what they're doing is they're confessing, and they're recounting what God has done over the ages. Now, here's what I want to show you. Look at chapter 9, verse 12. You've got to go with me on this journey because when this connects, when this dot connects... You're going to be bowled over. If you're sluggish and you miss it, <laughs> then you're really going to miss something huge. Look at chapter 9, verse 12. Remember, these are the Israelites recounting back, confessing their sin, recounting their story, and they say, God, by a pillar of cloud, you led them, being their forefathers, in the day. Remember, I want you to think like Jews, so let this be your story. 
Imagine standing and confessing God word. God, we have wronged you. And you're saying these words. By a pillar of cloud, you led them, being our forefathers, in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You gave them a pillar of cloud during the day, pillar of fire by night, to in many ways enlighten them, to help them see the way they should go. Look at verse 15. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. You gave them bread from heaven. They tasted a heavenly gift. Look down at verse 20. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. I want you to go back and appreciate what we've just engaged. Turn back to Hebrews. I want you to see this now. I want you to appreciate what we've heard in this chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible to restore again, Jews. Listen, Jews that have an identity as a people. Jews that have eaten this story of the wilderness experience. Jews that would think, if you're in Nashville, you're thinking music. If you're a Hebrew, you're thinking wilderness. And you're hearing this language of of a column of cloud, or a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, and being lighted, and being enlightened. You're thinking of a heavenly gift that you taste. You're thinking, excuse me, you're thinking manna. You're thinking engaging in the Holy Spirit. You're thinking about the nation of Israel as they wandered in the desert, engaging the Holy Spirit. And look at it right here in chapter 6, verse 4. It's impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit. It's even in the same order as in Nehemiah. I'm convinced the writer of the the book of Hebrews was reading Nehemiah's mail. Maybe they even had a wilderness song that they sang at the first FBC Hebrewite church. You know, we have that song. I had to ask Scott because it's been a while since we sung it. But you came from heaven to earth to show us the way. Is that how it goes? And then from earth to the sky, no, no, earth to the, you got to go to the ground, or to the cross. And from the cross, see, it's been a while. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. That's to kind of help us get the order. <laughs> okay, yeah, he went, see, I almost got it out of order. Went to the cross, to the ground, to the sky. They may have had a song about this. This was like secondhand knowledge. To them. So what you've got to appreciate in Hebrews chapter 6, he is speaking their language to a bunch of slugs. He's speaking their language, hoping to arrest them with what sluggishness is and the gravity of what it means. Now here's where it's going to hit you. It would be like... I'm thinking about this illustration. Now I'll say that illustration for a moment. What he's saying to them... This, this is probably the most important part of the sermon. What he's saying to them is that the person, our persons, our family, our church, that falls away from the enlightening pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, who misses or falls back from the heavenly nourishment of manna, the person, our persons, our family, or even church, who lags behind fellowship with the Holy Spirit, is like one who becomes a dropout on the wilderness journey. That's the connection. This Hebrews chapter 6, he's thinking like a Jew. 
and he's writing to a bunch of Jews who are thinking about the wilderness experience. And he's not talking about some individual, can you lose your salvation or not? That's why we struggle and labor with that passage so much. Does this mean you can lose your salvation? We're thinking like a bunch of individuals. We need to think like a people and read it and realize what he's saying is when you fall out of formation in the wilderness, you become lion food. I bet y'all have watched those National Geographic shows. You know, you see like these gazelles, a herd of gazelles, and they're out grazing. And this one kind of falls back. You know, he sees a real plush patch of green, and he's going to step over and grab that. Meanwhile, the herd takes off, and he becomes lion food. Or the antelope does the same thing. Maybe one's kind of lagging behind. He's kind of sluggish, and he becomes lion food. That's what he's saying here. When you step away from the enlightening work of the taught and preached word, when you step away from the heavenly manna where the people of God gather and we are nourished by the word of God, the bread of life, when you step away from those things and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we gather and enjoy and we fellowship with him and with each other week by week, when you step away from those things, you're going to become lion food. Or you might become target practice for some of the nearby ites. You know, there's all those ites, parasites, Jebusites, Hittites, all those other foreigners that are so hateful to Israelites. You step away from the pack, you become a target. I was telling Christy this week, I was kind of talking through, she gets the sermon far before y'all. You wouldn't even need to come my mornings because she gets it all week long. But I was sharing with her that one of the first things that I learned in the Marine Corps is at Officer's Candidate School in 1988, they took us out to the field where I hadn't been wearing camouflage long. They give you a backpack with a bunch of things that are unfamiliar to you. You have like shelter half, you have some tent pegs, things that you never really even use later. <laughs> but you need to learn how to use initially because you might have some occasion to use them. And really they're teaching you skills more than anything. But you got this backpack full of stuff, and they take you out to a field. You ride this, this half-ton, whatever, I don't know, five-ton pickup, and you, you pile, pile off this pickup, and we, we unloaded all our stuff. They had us sit in formation, take everything out of our bags. They showed us how to use it all, and then they told us with the very first thing, that I'm telling you, the most important thing that I ever learned in the Marine Corps is be ready to move out at any time. Be ready to gather your stuff up and put it in your bag. You keep your eye on the leadership because they've got the map, They've got the compass, and they've got the plan. Because if they pick up and move out, and you get left, then you can die of exposure in the heat or the cold. You can die of starvation. You might miss out on those tasty MREs. <laughs> you could die at the enemy's hands and get your throat cut. You could fall off a cliff, and there's nobody there to help you. You see why God talks about things like two are better than one? you got to stick with the people. Because if you fall away from the people, then you can die. And what the writer is doing here is he is appealing to the fact that they are a people. Remember, he's writing to a little church. Saying, you guys are a people, and you, Hebrewites, are on another wilderness journey, heading toward another promised land, and it's called heaven. Their message is our message. Those images of the antelope, the images of the gazelle, the images of the lost, stupid, silly marine. Oh, where'd they go? 
I want you to get all those images. Because that's what it means when you fall away from the taught and preached word week by week. Do you understand why I'm so urgent about saying, please engage this message week by week? If I miss a week, if I'm out traveling with my family, and one of the other elders bring the word, Scott brings the word, I'm going to eat it. Because if I don't, in essence, what it might be like is me sleeping when the nation of Israel gets up and moves out. And I wake up and go, where'd they go? That's what it's like when you leave the enlightening work of the Word preached and taught each week. Or you get hungry and skinny and you're starving because you don't have the manna that you're taking in week by week. It's not self-serving. I'm not... I don't need to see a full sanctuary week by week. I need to know that God's people are eating this nourishment. Otherwise, we too might be sluggish and might fall away. The reality is, is that if you are sluggish, you're falling back behind the people of God. And realize, if you're going two miles an hour and they're going three, there's an exponential distance there. It gets further and further over time. And you're going to be eaten by a lion. We know that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I'm thankful for this teaching because he's giving us an identity. He's helping us understand what it means to move together as a people. We are a people and we are on a very real journey to a very real promised land. And we've got to travel together. And sluggishness and dullness just does not cut it. And the last little phrase that we're going to engage this morning is in verses 7 and 8. It says, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing. That's what you're getting week by week. When you gather with the people of God with, with the taught and preached word where you have the fellowship of each other and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you're getting rained on week by week. This is land that, gets dr- that, that drinks in the rain and produces a crop. An ID, and, and identifying the crop in this context is an open mouth with the truths about Christ. A teaching ability to workmates and friends and family and children. That's the crop. That receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed. And its end, you know what they did for a field that it was overrun with thorns and thistles? They didn't have Roundup. They had what's called a match. I don't even know if they had matches. I don't know, maybe there's some version of that. Flint. And they burn that field. That's what he's talking about right here. The dull of hearing and the sluggish. Those who can't and aren't teaching. Those who are lagging behind the moving people are like ground that receives the rain, the enlightenment, the nourishment, the fellowship, but only bears thorns and thistles. Sluggishness that doesn't teach. And this people is like this land. It's just going to be burned. Do y'all understand why I'm so urgent about this message this morning? Man, I love joking around and cutting up. Ask Scott. Man, we do it every chance we get. I love, ask my family. I love joking around and cutting up. But this isn't a joke. 
being the people of God on a journey together is no joke. The sluggish are in grave danger. Next week, you'll understand the connection that this has with love. Let me pray. God, we so want to be on this journey. If we are lagging behind and if it, if it takes this message to pour cold water on us or to have a piercing shriek in our ear to get us caught up, Lord, I pray that you will find us on the move, that you'll find us at a dead sprint to engage the people of God. Lord, I pray that you'll guard us from comparing ourselves to maybe the Christian norm and that we will just take this word as it's written from the writer of Hebrews and that we'll be arrested, we'll be frightened, our hearts will race as we seek to catch up and that we'll link arms with the people of God and we'll be faithful on the journey together. And then we'll find comfort in walking in that enlightening work of the word that comes week by week. That we'll find comfort in this corporate nourishment that we take, this manna that you so amply provide with our mouths open. And that we'll find comfort from the sweet counselor of the Holy Spirit as we walk together as a people. Or please use this imagery and this reality for a very real people to educate this very real people. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Let's worship in song. I told Scott before we came in here, I said, man, I'm really nervous about this sermon. Um, Mainly, not for people that have been on the journey with us for a while, because I know, you, you've been here long enough to know that there are times, man, where it's, like I said this morning, poignant and strong. But some people, man, they just never had that context before. It's harsh. You know, it can seem really harsh. And, and um, um, harsh will be the word I'll leave it with. And I told Scott, I said, man, I, I just... I, I don't know if I told him this part, but I'm, I'm, deep down I'm hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit works beyond that. I told Scott what it's like. It's like when, a, and I, this again, this is my context, what I think like when a Marine falls back from formation when we're moving and the commander runs back or the unit leader runs back and he, he, kick, he, he takes his size 11 with Vibram soles and he just, kicks the guy as hard as he can in his backside and said, you better get up there because he knows what's at stake. And the rest of the unit is not going, ooh, that was unloving. <laughs> and he's not even thinking, my unit commander's not loving me. In fact, he might be thinking the opposite. That dude loves me enough to not see me devoured by the enemy. Man, that's my burden. That's my burden. And sometimes, man, it takes a size 11. I need this size 11. When I see what his picture of maturity is, <laughs> that you can explain Christ as high priest, I went, how many of us can do that? Am I equipping this people to be able to explain that to their children? Are the elders, is that what we're doing? I hope so, man. It's not going to happen overnight, but I hope that's what we're about because of what's at stake. Y'all stand and I'll dismiss you. Let me share with you too, as you're standing.
someone here this morning, if any of you here this morning, you, you hear this story and this thing unfolding about this people and this identity as a people moving through the wilderness, and you're like, man, I want to be part of that people. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know how you do that. I would love to talk with you. Any of the elders would love to talk with you. Any of your teachers. Ideally, if we're all not sluggish, you can turn to anybody and say, explain this to me. You might turn to somebody and they say, dude, I don't, I don't even know what you're asking me. And that might be a sluggish one. But I'm hoping that maybe people that you came with or maybe people that invited you or at least me or any of the other elders or teachers, we would love to explain what it means to be on this journey. You can go to church or you can be a church. And you can be a people. There's a big, fat, honking difference. I hope and pray we're the latter. Let me pray. Lord, find us sincere and earnest and burdened, genuine, attentive. Lord, if we're sluggish, I pray that you will just douse cold water on us. Thank you for this sweet word this morning, this sweet manna. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.